Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Church, the Apostle Paul. The Apo- Think about Paul. The Apostle Paul, when writing to his young protege, Timothy... He actually exhorts him to exercise his spiritual muscles. His rap to young Tim goes something like this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, Paul writes, he says, Timothy, reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Wait, what's that? Yeah, here's what Paul is saying to young Tim. Hey, Tim, do me a favor. He says, working out, that's okay. That's good. I think we should work out. He says, it profits a little. It profits a little. But the imperative that Paul is directing to Timothy and to us is to exercise our spiritual muscles. Because in our spiritual muscles, it's profitable in all things. In all things. I'm sure every one of us has been to a gym once or twice in our life. And when you walk into a gym, it's just, it's quite a sight, is it not? Because most of the time, the guys are looking in the mirror to see if their muscles are growing. That's usually it. And they're, <laughs> amen. And so they're always walking around going, hey, you know, they'll, they'll lift a few reps and then they're looking and they'll, hmm, hmm. How long have you been coming to the gym? Just one day. I've been pretty good. Yeah. See that muscle right there? Yeah. And we do that, but, but, but here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Paul says, listen, that profits a little. Profits a little. But here's one of my exhortation to you. Physical training is good. Guys, it is good for us. We should exercise. You should get out. You might want to lift a few weights. Whatever it is that you feel good. But what Paul is trying to say is that is that training for godliness? Man, that's much better. That's much better. Because it promises great benefits in this life and the life to come. In the life to come. Switching over to Ephesians, Paul is teaching us that everyone who is saved becomes a member of the body of Christ. Think about this for a minute. The Jew and the Gentile who once were at odds with each other, you understand the Jewish people hated the Gentiles, did not want them in heaven. You said that you were born strictly to keep the fires of hell going. Now, you need to understand, if you go with us to Israel, there's a place there that they used to call Gehenna. And Gehenna is where they just, it, it called it Gehenna because it's constantly, they were just throwing bodies there. It just kept fires all day and all night. And that's where Jesus refers to Gehenna. If you go there today, you'll drive around on the bus and somebody go, hey, that's Gehenna. And in your mind, you're thinking continual fire, but it's actually a park now. And it has grass and swings and everything. And you're just like, that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. But again, this is how the Jews felt about the Gentiles. But Paul comes and goes, hey, wait a minute, something's different. He says, we're all one body now. We're all one family. 
And you could imagine how the Jews went, whoa, time out, Paul. <laughs> well, no. Well, if, if we're family, who's going to keep the fires of hell going? I don't understand. And, and, and so he's coming and he's saying, no, 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 no. Here's what we need to do. He says, listen, here's what he's teaching, that we make up one glorious family. And then Paul reminds us, listen, church, that we, he reminds us that we belong to one local church, one local church. So here's the benefits of being a Christian. You get to join an amazing, wonderful, God-given family. And you say amen until you see your uncles and your aunts and your cousins. Right? You're like, uh, that's family? Yeah, that's family. Why? Because family is family. And we're all a mess, are we not? We're all a mess. That's the beauty of family. Because in our family, we sometimes have the uncles that, like, you wouldn't invite him over to eat, right? It's like, no, he's going to embarrass himself. He's gonna... Or you'd have the cut. We're all the same way. And Paul says, but here's the beauty. We're all one glorious family in heaven. But not only that, you get to be part of a local body. And what's the benefits of a local body? You have the body of Christ coming alongside you in those times of need. You have the body of Christ visiting you and on the hospital. You have the body of Christ coming alongside when, when something happens. That's the beauty of being part of the church. And so Paul says, okay, okay. So what's the goal, Ben? I know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be joining in the family. Amen? Amen? I'm glad to be part of a local church. Amen? Amen. So what's the goal of, my, of, of being a Christian? You ready? Here's the goal. The goal of the Christian faith is to grow spiritually and be more like Jesus in everyday life. That's the goal. You go, Ben, what's the goal? The goal is to grow spiritually and to be like Jesus in everyday life. As a matter of fact, it was the Apostle John who taught us this. Check it out, check it out. He taught us this. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he writes, He who says he abides in him, notice it's capital, so it's Jesus, ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. What a great imperative. What a great command. He says, hey, listen, listen, you who say, I abide in Jesus, you ought to walk like Jesus walked. So when you go to the mall, people should mistake you for Jesus. How's that? Yeah, exactly. You see, how are we supposed to walk like Jesus? I want to emulate him. I want to walk like him. That's what John is saying. He's saying, listen, if you call yourself a Christian, you should walk like him. Walk like him. If you are a fully devoted follower of Christ, then your goal, honestly, is to walk the way Jesus walked. Now, I'm not saying walk like one foot in front of the other because everybody walks the same. You go, well, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some things that we can learn so that I can walk like Jesus. Well, you go, well, like what? Well, if you're taking note, you can jot this down. Number one, a good way to walk with like Jesus is to have intimacy with God. That's number one. Why? Because if we're going to emulate Jesus, if I want to be like my Jesus, Jesus walked close to the Father and he ministered out of that relationship. So important and so key. We must also, listen to me, church, prioritize intimacy with God above all else. That should be number one on your list. Oh, Jesus first. Amen. What do you do in the morning? Oh, I got to have my time with God. I got to have my time with God. That's how we should be. 
If you want to walk like Jesus, first check your intimacy with him. Because out of that intimacy, out of that relationship, is how you're going to, that's where ministry is going to flow out of, that walk. Come on, church, you know what I'm talking about. You know when that you've been, you've had those days when you've been, oh man, you're so good with God. You're so good. You're talking to him. He's talking to you. And man, life hits you with something and you just bounce it. It's just like, man, I don't care. God is so good. And you've also had those times when you haven't been with God and life hits you and you go completely nuts. You're like, oh, what, what, what happened? Why are you? I haven't spent time with the Lord. I can feel it. You go, what else? What else? Number two, if you want to walk with like Jesus, jot this down. You should have compassion for others. You should have compassion for others. Paul took a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 to warn about the dangers of, of opening the gifts of the Spirit without having love. And we need to heed his warning. It's one thing to have the gifts that we're going to talk about today. It's one thing to build up the body of Christ. But it's a whole nother thing. So, so think about this. Think about this. We should have compassion for others. Everyone is walking in their own walk. Everyone is walking with God. And our job is to, is to have compassion on people. Jesus, after a full day of ministry, Jesus, after a full day of dealing with his disciples and ministering, he'd turn around and he'd see a group of people coming to him. It's late at night. I just want to go to bed. I'm just tired. And he would say, hold on, let's, let's minister to the folks. Let's minister. And he would have compassion. I'm sure the disciples were like, what did we get ourselves into? This dude doesn't stop. He's moving all the time. He's ministering. But they caught the vision. And I want to walk like Jesus, and that means I need to have compassions for others. Let me give you a third one. If we want to walk like Jesus, the way the Apostle John says is that I think we need to walk in the authority that Christ has for us. We need to walk in that. You see, God has given us tremendous authority, and I think we should walk in his authority. I want to walk in his authority. I have to know the word. I have to know him so that I can walk in him. Well, let me give you one more before we jump into our text. I think if I want to walk like God and I want people, I want people to, to, I want to emulate who Jesus is, I want to walk like Jesus, I think, number one, you guys know we need to have intimacy with God, we need to have compassion, we need to walk in authority, but we also need to walk in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. See, while authority gives you the right to carry out a task, power gives you the ability to carry it out. Power without love is bad, but so is love without power. And so I think we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk in everyday life. In everyday life. Now listen, we're called to work together to reach other people for the gospel and to help them through prayer. So believers are to edify the body of Christ. Every believer, every believer's job is to edify the church. I don't know if you knew that or not. Okay? So what is Paul wanting to do? What's his rep? Well, he wants to teach us today that that's our job, is to edify the body of Christ. 
So, before we get into our text, let me remind you what we've learned so far. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 6, and we discovered that we were made worthy to walk worthy. So we transitioned from the first three chapters of being made worthy. You understand what he did. I mean, this was, this was really an outline. It's an amazing three chapters of what God has done for us and in us and through us. What is it? It's a new life. And the fact that God has given us a brand new family, we transitioned from being made worthy to now walking worthy walking worthy. In chapters 4 to 6, we're going to see this is how we apply what we've learned. This is how we should live. Now, jot this down if you didn't last week. There are 41 imperatives in verses 4 to 6, or chapters 4 to 6. 41 commands. So so Paul understands. He says, okay, so now you're a follower of Jesus. You're a fully, you're a Christian. Okay, and everybody goes, amen, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian in here today? Okay, so now he's saying, you saying amen. You said it like, I'm not sure. Are you a Christian in here? Amen. And he says, now, so you understand that this is how you should behave. And he gives us 41 commands how we should behave. He goes, 41 commands? Yeah, yeah, this is how we should live. And if you're taking note, let me give them to you very quickly because we talked about them last week. You can obviously go back to the podcast, but the first six verses, here's what he says. He says, you have a call to walk worthy. You have a call to walk worthy. In other words, he says, this is how we should live. How should we live? Listen, it's more than what we do in the privacy of our own homes. It's how we should live at home and at work and at the grocery store and all the way around. Many years ago, when I was dealing with the landlord for our building, one of the landlord told me, oh, I'm a Christian too, but I behave differently at work than I do at church than I do at home. And I thought, that's interesting. That shouldn't be the case. If you're a Christian, you should be a Christian. You should be a Christian at work. You should be a Christian at home. You should be a Christian at the grocery store. You should, this, is, this is how it is. So he says, this is how we should live. Why? <clears throat> Let me just say this. People are watching you. The whole world is watching how you walk. You say, I'm a Christian. Right away, they perk up. Hello. And they're going to watch what you say. And they're going to watch how you behave. And they're going to watch how you walk through difficulties. And they're going to go, wait a minute. You have something. You have something. It's different. I want what you have. They're watching you. You go, what else did we learn? Well, we learned that we need to have a call to a worthy attitude. A worthy attitude. Notice I didn't say we need to have a bad attitude. Sometimes we wake up with a bad attitude. Anybody ever wake up with a bad attitude? I wake up between the coffee pot and my bed. I have a bad attitude until I get coffee. Then I'm okay. No, I'm kidding. But think about this. Here's the the attitudes we should have. Number one, we need to walk in humility. We need to walk in humility. Guys, pride is a killer. We, we saw Belshazzar on Wednesday night in the book of Daniel. Pride is a killer. You guys remember what happened on Wednesday night? Belshazzar's having a great feast. He's having a great party. He's going nuts. He has all these people. He's dancing. He's leaving the Vida Loca. He doesn't, the band is playing loud. And, and you guys know what happened, right? He takes the vessels that were used for worship. He takes them and he puts wine in them. And he praises his gods. And the Lord's like, no, 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 that's where I draw the line. And you guys know the story. There's a writing on the wall, and Belshazzar 
uh, pride, and that night he died. Pride kills us. We should walk in humility. What else? We should walk in gentleness. In gentleness. We should be gentle. He said, what else? Patience. Patience. Anybody good at patience? (laughs) Anybody want patience? Yeah, don't raise your hand. You go, why? Because the Bible says if you want patience, you're going to have trials. That's how you learn patience. I'm good. I'm good, Lord. I'm good. But no, we should be patient. We should be patient with others. We should be patient with others. No, 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 you're not hearing me. We need to be patient with others. We should, right? Why? Because people are coming along. People are people. And if we're going to walk like Jesus, the way he walked, we've got to love people right where they're at. We don't, we don't condone sin, but we want to love them to the place where they're, where they're living for God again. But sometimes, your patience runs thin, don't you? Doesn't it? True story. True story. I have two grandkids. Okay? You guys will know my eight-year-old granddaughter will be by my side anywhere I go, everywhere I go. She's in grandpa's pocket, and whatever I have is hers. But God gave me a grandson, and my grandson is nothing like my granddaughter. He's a boy. And so we went out on Tuesday. We had, we had did some stuff, and I got the privilege of watching both of them at the same time. <sighs> Man, little Jesse was such, he was, he's just a handful. And I think at one point, true confession, at one point I said, I have just had about enough of you. I'm at my limit with you. And Cordy went and told everybody, threw me under the bus completely. (laughs) Grandpa said he's tired of Jesse. I said, no, that's not what I said. I said, I'm just like, will you stay here for a minute? Got to have patience, don't I? Gotta have patience. I wonder how many new believers are just like that one and a half year old. They're saved, they're loved, but they're all over the place. And they don't give you a break. And you're saying, Would you just just sit down for a minute? And God's calling us to have patience. But he also says he also says to bear with one another. To make allowance for them, to be like, okay. Okay. He also said last week in these six verses, guys, that we're called to unity. We're called, we're called to unity, to make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the Spirit, binding yourselves, how? Together with peace. We should be unified. Listen, listen. It's bad enough that you guys will walk out those doors and hit the real world, and the enemy who hates your guts and everything, the enemy's going to come out and he's going to attack you and he wants to shelve you. I get that. There's, there's spiritual warfare going on all the time. Can I get an amen? amen? So we don't need to be doing that in the family. We don't need to be against each other. We can agree to disagree and love each other. We can, listen, we, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. If you have a brother or sister, you guys are probably fighting all the time at times. Right? Oh, my brother. And you, but here's the problem. When somebody else attacks them, you, go, you guys join forces and go, no, 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 you're not touching my... And that should be in the body of Christ. 
You know, we might be, we might be sheep rubbing elbows. Ah, get out of the way. Ah, and you go, no, get out of the way. Ah, and we're fighting each other. And then when we see the wolf, we go, oh, band together. Because we got a real enemy out there. Come on, church, I'm exhorting you guys to keep the unity. Keep the unity. And not only that, he says, what's the basis of the unity? You ready? One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We are all one in him. That's why. That's why we, there's one God. There's this is, When you put and let man get a hold of something, doesn't he ruin it? He just, it, that's his pride and all, and, and I mean, and God's going, no, 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 listen, there's one spirit. We all have the same spirit in us. We all have one Lord. It's the Lord Jesus. So the same God that walks in you and lives in you lives in me. Why are we fighting? Why is there not unity? There's one baptism. We're not talking, he's not talking water baptism. He's talking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one. You have it. I have it. There's one God. He says, and we're all one in him. We're all one in him. That's what we looked at last week. So Paul continues that same thought, guys. And so what he does is he changes his focus. He goes, okay, so, so if I'm asking you to behave, to live differently, to, to grasp how you really should behave in Lubbock, Texas... I need to give you some help. I need to give you some gifts. And these gifts are to build up the body of Christ. Okay? Let me illustrate it this way. In my house, I have an apricot tree. And right when it started warming up, my apricots, the tree started to bloom. Well, I think we lost them because it's been cold these last few nights. You know what happens when the cold comes in, you lose your apricots. But let's just say the cold didn't come in, and then I had a tree full of apricots. The tree is getting its nutrients. It's one. Think about it. And what's happening is it's now producing fruit. But here's why I want to challenge you. Who's the fruit for? So I'll walk up to the tree, and I'll go, Hello, Mr. Apricot Tree. I think I'll have a few apricots. And I'll pull them, and I've never once heard that tree said, Hey, stop that. Those are mine. You guys understand. So the gifts that God gives you or has given you is for the edifying of the body. It's for others. It's for others. And you go, Oh, wow. And so what he says, well, what's the point? Is so that we can build our body strong. We can build the church. As a matter of fact, guys, there's one, two, three. There's four different books in the New Testament that talk about gifts. The gifts that God has given us. The area of spiritual. Five times. He's gonna, we're going to see it here in 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Um, Romans 12. 1 Peter chapter 4. All of these present different gifts and different emphasis. And so that's what he says. So the purpose, the purpose is to build up the body of Christ his way. And that's what he wants to teach us today. Bodybuilding God's way. Picking it up in verse 7, it says, 
But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What's he saying? In other words, God has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. A special gift. If you're here today and you are a believer, then God's given you a gift. God's given you a gift. He's given you a gift. Oh, how so? Yeah, think about this. God, in his wisdom, looked down on you and said, I'm going to give you a special gift. Oh, I'm going to give you a gift. And he gives every one of us a gift. He assigns every one of us a particular gift to be used for the good of the whole. That's what he uses it for. So not only are we to walk in humility and gentleness and patience and love, God has given us a very specific gift gift. Very specific. Now, I want to jump on, on, on gifts just a little bit. So I want you to hold your finger here and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. I want to show you Paul writing uh, on some more gifts. And you go, well, I don't know where that is. That's okay. I'm going to put it up on the screen. But I want you to see some of the gifts, okay? These gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 are going to be attributed to the work of the Spirit, Okay? Paul writing to the Corinthians says this, but the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. Through another, a word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Let me have your attention for just a moment. The word of knowledge. Well, the word of knowledge used in the right setting is usually a spiritual gift that God gives you and says to, to the group, somebody here is struggling with X, Y, Z. And you're thinking, how could anybody know that? Nobody knows this. This is, wow. Well, God gave a word of knowledge to somebody for the body. And so somebody goes, wow, how did you know that? Well, it's God knows that. And so he says, he says, man, there might be a word of wisdom, but there's also, there's also the gift of the word of what? Knowledge through the same spirit. And then he says to another, faith by the same spirit. Faith. Do you have the gift of faith? I know somebody who has the gift of faith. I've tested him. You go, really? Who's that? Joe Harris. You'll see him walking around here. Joe Harris has the gift of faith. When Bethany, his wife, was in the hospital, a year ago, he would walk around and he had just this faith. God's going to take care of this. The rest of us were freaking out. Joe was talking about God's going to do it. He's going to be fine. Joe, aren't you freaking out? He's like, and he has that gift. Some of us don't have that gift. Right? We have to really work hard to muster up our faith. But he has that gift. Who gave him that gift? How did Joe Harris get this incredible gift of faith? It was by the Holy Spirit. Joe didn't say, okay, Lord, I'm opening presents here. What gift should I take? God just goes, this is what I need. Others have the gift of healings. They have the gift of healings. Others, the working of miracles. To others, prophecy. To others, discerning of spirits. To others, what is that, kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So again, at Calvary Chapel, when we're teaching the Bible, we believe that the Holy Spirit won't interrupt himself, and therefore we have a special time called an afterglow when you can exercise if you have that gift of tongues. 
You might be able to speak in a... You're sitting here in the Spirit, and you just start speaking. You don't know what you're speaking, but you have an interpreter go, Hey, you're praising God. You're praising God in Russian. I didn't know you knew Russian. I don't know Russian. It's God. But there has to be an interpretation. Why? Because it's to edify the body. I have been, I have been in, in churches where they be speaking in tongues and, it's, and it just seems like the Lord is mad at us. And I would listen and it'd be like, why are you? And, and, and that's not, that didn't edify me. That scared me, quite honestly. And so we have to understand what, what it is. But it's the same spirit works all these things. And what is he say? Distributing to each one individually as he wills. So in your mind, you might be thinking, what gift do I have? Do I have the gift of faith? Do I have the gift of, uh, you know, I'm, sometimes when I'm alone and I pray, I just, I, it just kind of freaks me out, I don't know. Or, or you might have the gift of wisdom. Or you might have the gift of knowledge. Or you might have the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is when you can look at somebody who claims to be a believer and you go, no, 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 my spirit is not, it's not we're not jelly. That's, he's not, something not right there. Something not right. Paul in Corinthians attributes the giving of spiritual gifts to the Spirit. He says the, the Spirit gives you that, okay? So here you do, you get saved. Pastor, I, I open in my heart, invite you inside, come into my life, and then you're saved. And we go, yeah, you're saved. At that point, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, and he says, okay, now I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a gift. One of the gifts that God gave me early on, before he let me be a teacher, is he gave me the gift of evangelism. Because one of the things that I realized and wanted to do more than anything is see people saved. That's still my heart today. That was a gift. And so we'd go out to eat, and I'd make sure that a waitress knew about Jesus. We'd go anywhere. I'd be in the gym. We'd be talking about God. I want to see people saved. I want to see them saved. I want to populate heaven. That's just my heart. When I see, when I see people who are really awful and ugly and evil... I want to see him saved. I want to see him saved. But that's a gift that God has given me. That's a gift. When this church allows me to go to other churches to share from their pulpit and people get saved, it's God's gift. It's God's gift. One time, Pastor Bill asked me to come preach on a Sunday, and, and there was a huge announcement of him saying, Pastor Ben's coming, he's got the gift of evangelism, you want to bring all your unsaved loved ones, bring him, bring him, bring him. And I really felt the pressure that I had to do something. And it really scared me, because it's not me. And when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, I understand inviting unsaved loved ones, but don't, we can't put pressure on people, because it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. In the book of Ephesians, Paul doesn't attribute the gifts to the Spirit. He actually says these are gifts given by Christ as he ascended. As he ascended. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay? Therefore, notice what it says, therefore. Because each one was given a gift to build up the body, he says, as he ascended on high. What is Paul talking about? 
Paul is going to use this illustration from the book of Psalms. If you're taking note, it's Psalm 68, 18, in which the triumphant warrior was elevated when he returns with a host of prisoners, receiving gifts from the conquered people and distributing gifts to his follower. Your attention, please. When Paul or anyone, David, anyone went out, the warrior went out and he conquered a city, what he would do is he goes, okay, y'all are coming back with me. And he led captivity captive. They were all in chains. And he took all the spoils that y'all had. And then and he brought them in. He was, he was, they were all behind him walking in chains because he conquered that city. And he'd take the gifts and he'd give them to it. He, he gave gifts to everybody that was already there. And so Paul uses the same illustration. He goes, hey, hey, this is what happened. When Christ conquered Satan... And all that he, think about it, he conquered Satan and all that had conquered us. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to give gifts to y'all. I'm going to give gifts. And then we come to verse 9 and 10. And what 9 and 10 is what we call parenthetical verses. And, And here's the comment. When he ascended, you want to keep that. And the reason why it's parenthetical is because Paul wants to prove that Christ is the only one who fits this description. He says this in verse 9. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? That he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. This was a question that was asked to me a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean that Christ descended? Okay, so let me just give you a quick view and then I'll back it up with First Peter. When we call hell, hell, we don't realize that it's not the lake of fire. There are two places, there are two compartments basically called Hades. When you die prior to Jesus, there are two compartments. One of them is where, where uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus went with Abraham. These were all the, the prior saints on this compartment. All those who didn't believe in God or anything else went to this compartment. Okay, The rich man who fared sumptuously in his life was now looking over to Lazarus and going, Lazarus, I'm burning in these flames and, and I can't, well, just, just a drop of water on my tongue, please. And you know he was in anguish. This is that. When Jesus died, it says he first descended. So he came down to where? To Hades. And he, there's a gulf separated between them. And so he went and preached to Abraham. He went and preached to Jay. He says, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. This is, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. Do you believe in me? And everybody goes, yeah. And what he did is he took all of those in this part in Abraham's bosom. And he took them. He led, them cap, he led captivity captive and he took them back to heaven. The ones who didn't believe, the ones who are all the rich men, as we know, are on this side of Hades. They're still there. They're still waiting the judgment. And so when somebody goes, well, when you die, you go to hell if you don't give your life to the Lord. You're actually going to go to this place for the time being. Because then he says there's going to be a judgment, and he's going to judge you, and then he's going to cast you into the lake of fire for eternity. We just kind of, we just kind of blanket that with the word hell, and we go to heaven or hell. But Jesus had to descend first. So up on earth, everybody's going, oh, he's dying, he's in the tomb, he's doing work, he's ministering, and he's taking him back to heaven. So what happens if you die today with Jesus in your heart? Do I go to Hades? No, it's empty. 
you go to heaven. To be absent from the body, you're in presence of the Lord. And so you get to go that. Well, what happens when the rapture takes place? Well, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then you will go, oh, let's say you died. You'd be just like, my body's still there. Instantaneously, your spirit will come back, reunite with your body, you'll have a glorified body, and you'll go back to heaven. How does God do it? I don't know, but God does it. If you're a believer here today, you better put in your order for your glorified body now. Okay? Put in your order. Lord, listen, for my glorified body, can I be a little bit taller? <laughs> uh, you know, whatever else. Maybe some of you need hair. I don't know. Whatever you want to do with God, just, uh, yeah. Nobody called Joe Mabry out. I'm just saying, put in your order now. Some of you, no, I better stop right there. I better stop. I'll get in trouble. So according to 1 Peter 3.18, we know that Jesus descended first. Let's take a look, because I don't want you just to. Believe me, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered a physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went, where did he go? And preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when they, God waited patiently while Noah was building a boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So what does he do? He says, I went down and I preached. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about my Jesus? Oh, how he loves me. How he, he doesn't want anyone to perish, guys. God isn't sitting there going, okay, just make a move, Lisette. Just make a move. Uh-huh, you're, go on, do it, do it. And, and we see that he's this mean dad that's going to spank us if we just, he's going, no, 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 no. I have a place for you. It's amazing. God is so love, and in him is no darkness at all. And that's what you guys got to get out of this. He loves you so much. And he's going, he's got a plan for us. Back in Ephesians, Paul tells us, and he identifies the gifts. He says, okay, so, so listen, if, if first he sent it, I'm going to give you gifts. What, what gifts are they? Well, we talked about the gifts in Corinthians, but let's see the ones here in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor and teachers. Your attention, please. The first thing you need to know is pastor, teacher is one word. A lot of people will dislike, well, there's five, there's five gifts, it's one word, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let me, again, let me just break this down. It's so, so important. Why? Because we're a teaching ministry, and you need to know this. He says he gave some to be apostles. Apostles. Do we have any modern-day apostles? Well, let me tell you the qualifications. Here are the qualifications for you to be an apostle. Number one, you had to have seen the risen Lord and been able to testify of him, of his resurrection from personal knowledge. John 15, Acts 1, 21, 1 Corinthians 9, Acts 22, 14, and 15. So, Ben, is there a modern-day apostle? Is there a modern-day apostle? No, there's not, because they had to have seen the risen Lord and been able to testify. But... That being said, 
we get the root word missionary from this word apostle. Why? Because it's, it's, it's those that are sent out to speak on and act with special authority. So if somebody came to me and said, Pastor Ben, I'm going to go plant a church. I want to go plant a church where, or, or I'm going to go overseas. I want to just, I, you would be a missionary. You are with the authority sent out to speak on behalf of Christ. Another reason, another qualification for apostle is they must have been immediately called to be an apostle by Christ. Luke chapter 6, Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. A third reason it was essential that there should be the infallibility inspired, thus protected against error and mistake their public teaching, whether by word or by writing. Number four, another qualification was the power of working miracles. Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So these are the qualifications for you to be an apostle. Now he gave some to be an apostle. Absolutely. Paul, on the road, did he see the risen Lord? On the road to Damascus, he did, didn't he? He was blinded by the light. He said, I gave some to be apostles. I gave some to be prophets. Oh yeah, what's a prophet? It refers to those who are designated to, by God to speak on his behalf. You can see that in Ephesians 2.20 and later on in 1 Corinthians. So in a... In a beautiful way, not a prideful way, the pastor teacher from the pulpit is actually using the gift of prophecy. Because he's, what is he doing? He's, he's speaking on behalf of God. You know what I like to call it? I like to call it, I'm lip, lip syncing for God. He's already wrote it down. All I have to do is read it and explain it to you. But prophetically, that's what they used to do in the Old Testament. He said he gave some to be evangelists. Evangelists. It refers to those who proclaim the truth of the gospel and call others to live by Jesus' standards. He, he offers the call. It's an invitation. Hey, how many of you want to be saved? How many of you? Here's what I found in my little short life upon this earth. There are a lot of pastor, wonderful pastor teachers who don't have the gift of evangelism. The Bible says they need to do the work of an evangelist, but they don't have that gift. So what happens? Pastor Bennett shows up at their church, and I'll never forget it. I, I had a wonderful pastor in Rio Rancho, and he, he just, he, here's what he would do. Bless his heart, he's with Jesus now. But he would look and goes, hey, if you want to get saved, we have a room over there. Why don't you meet us over there? And so all the pastors would go there, and we'd wait, and we'd wait, and maybe one uh, every now and then would get saved. Now, Pastor Ben got the opportunity to speak at this church. And I remember, and so I'm, well, I don't even remember what I spot, but I gave an invitation. And I sat there and I said, hey, if you want to get saved, come forward. We're going we're gonna to meet you right here and we're going to pray with you and come forward. Get up out of your seat, come stand right here. And I'll never forget, it, row after row. I mean, it started to fill up. I was like, and then they were headed all the way back that way. I, I called it my Greg glory moment because it was just like. Now, was there anything special about what I did? No, it was the fact that I gave the call to the invitation. I gave that call and people have felt by the power of the Holy Spirit to come forward. I didn't do anything. But you know what I said? God, this is amazing. Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Can we do it all the time? And then I'll get the chance to go up to Amarillo and I'll get the chance to speak and people will come forward. 
It's, it's, it's so amazing. I remember a time I was, I was giving an invitation, and uh, Mike O'Reilly's our head of security, and I hadn't even got the message, I hadn't even got it out to come forward, and here comes a guy up front, right? He, he starts walking to the front. Their security was like, Vroom. They thought it, they thought there was going to be something going on because, because he just started walking and he was wanting to get saved before I even gave the invitation. It's so beautiful, but that's evangelism. But, but it's much more than public. It's when you can lead someone to Jesus at your homeschool group or at, or at school or at work. When they see your life and they go, wow, what do you have? And you're able to just share with the, with your heart, just go, man, listen, I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you, Jesus changed my life. I want that. Well, pray this prayer after me. Pray this prayer. He said, I gave some to be evangelists. That's how the church grows. And he says, and I gave some to be what? Pastor teachers. Pastor teachers. This refers to the one who will care and protect, who will faithfully pass the teachings of Jesus by explanation. You can write next to this overseer or shepherd. A shepherd. That's, he gave some to be mostly people, pastor teachers. But I think every pastor should be a teacher. It's one thing to be pastoring and, and herding sheep and no, 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 but, but we, we, we have to, what does he say? He says, guys, this refers to the one who will care and protect. Can I tell you the one thing I didn't have when I planted this church 20 years ago? It was a shepherd's heart. Oh, I was a pastor, but I didn't know how to care for the sheep. And through trial and error and God, he, he gave me that shepherd's heart. And it's so beautiful to see. And it's like, oh, ah, oh, the sheep. And I'm very protective of the sheep. You need to know that. The shepherds are very protective. If there is a wolf in here, we will kick him out. You need to understand that. Well, are, are churches supposed to be tolerant? Shouldn't we just look? No. You know, what, you know what wolves will do? They'll want to eat you. They'll want to kill you. My job is to protect you. And you don't always see the wolves. But I do. And you might see somebody here at this church and go, well, why aren't they here anymore? There's a reason. And you have to trust that God, in his wisdom, called me and other men like me to be shepherds, to protect you, to counsel you, to guide you, to guide you. But not only that, God has given you teaching gifts for the body of Christ. Paul says, the reason I've given these gifts, he says, the reason that God gave you this gift is to build up the church. You see, the goal is going to be described in verses 12 through 16. The pastor teacher is to feed and protect the saints the word of God, to equip them for service. What do you mean? Here's, listen, in church, we've got it wrong. Everybody goes, well, you're the pastor, you should do all the hospital visits. You're the pastor, you should be praying. You're the pastor, you should do this. You should do this, you should do this. No, 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 here's what the Bible says. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. You guys are the ministers. I'm going to teach you and then let you go out and do the work of the ministry. That's what he's saying right here. You perform the work of the ministry. How cool is that? How cool is that? So here's the hope for the church. 
The reason we've been given. Look at verse 12. Here's the reason. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. There you go. For the edifying of the body in Christ. Again, my job is to equip you. You go, what does the word equipped mean? You ready? It means perfecting, preparing, restore, instructing, completing, and number all parts. Guys, this word is only used once in the Bible. Equip, this word. Cardatismos is in the Greek, cardatismos, and it's only one. I was very, and again, what's the point? It's to what? Listen, my job is to prepare you, to perfect you, to instruct you, to complete in number, okay? For what? For the work of the ministry. You know what that is? Acts of service in our church and in our community. That's the goal. That's the goal. So that we can edify the body. What for? To strengthen the church and to help it grow. To help it grow. I'm only one man. And so God raises up other men to come alongside me and help me. Because we want our church to grow. We want our church to grow in number, and we want our church to grow spiritually so that we can impact Lubbock, Texas. And if that's not the goal, what are we doing here? If we don't have a heart for the people that are lost, what are we doing here? we got to have a heart. we got to have the same heart. Let's build God's body His way. And let me just say this, you ready? We're all in this together. If we want our church to grow, look around, look around. If you want our church, I want our church to grow, Pastor. Guess what? Then we all have to work together for ministry. We all have to work together. Some of your friends won't come to church just with a simple invite. But when they see your life, they might. But there's a lot of people out there you go, Pastor, I, I went up to a friend and, 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 um, and, and I asked him if they'd like to come to church. And they're like, no, I don't want to. I already go to this church. And you go, and you know what? You know what? You go, you go amen. Are you saved? I'm saved. All right. Man, I, I gained a brother. I gained a sister. Cool. But there are a lot more. Listen, listen. Lubbock, Texas is running about 250,000 in population. And only about 50,000 go to church every Sunday. We have our work cut out for us, guys. That's 200,000 people that aren't going to church. That don't know my Jesus. And what scares me even more, what if 200,000 people aren't saved? Well, then you better, you got your work cut out for you, Pastor. No, 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 no. We're in this together. We're in this together. And we got to do this together. I like the way Warren Wearsby writes. Check this out. Listen to this quote. Each saint, that's you, shares in the growth of the church. Each saint. Unfortunately, there are some Christians who are still babies, who are unstable and easily led astray. Satan and his ministers are waiting to tear down the church with their lies. The church is edified, built up through the word of God, and churches are not, churches are not built up and strengthened through man-made programs, entertainment, recreation, or drives. The church is a body and must have spiritual food. This food is the word of God, end quote. That's Warren Wearsby. I thought, isn't that true? Isn't that true? You realize that I feed my eight-year-old granddaughter different food than the one-year-old. 
She's growing. And sometimes we'll have those and we've got to work that way and we've got to be patient. Now, this will happen until two main objectives are achieved. Okay, look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Do you see what Paul is saying? He said, these are two objectives. Here's, here's why you need to be the best fed, most loved church in all of Lubbock, because we need to continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. We will be mature in the Lord. That's the goal. We have to grow up. I don't want to grow up. I'm a toy. No, no, we have to grow up. That's what he's saying. I want you to grow. I want you to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You know, my little grandson, he never once comes to me and says, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to grow up. But some Christians do, don't they? What's the second objective? That Listen, that in that maturity, we won't be tossed and blown away with every new wind of teaching that comes through. We won't be immature. We won't be influenced, come on somebody, when people try to trick us with lies and clever, in a clever so clever how they sound with the truth. You, you like the truth. I mean, we, we would go, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. We want to be mature so we could grow in, and we wouldn't be tossed to and fro. Oh, did you hear what's going Did you hear what's happening in Lubbock? Oh, let's go to that. We got to go. Man, they're doing signs and wonders. This is crazy. Let's go. And then everybody's following around, but we're going, no, 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 no. Where's the word of God? Where's the word of God? I don't want to be tossed to and fro. I don't want to be led I'm mature. I'm mature. That's the objective. You remember how Paul prayed? Do you remember how we prayed in chapter 3? What did he say? He said that we would be strengthened in our inner faith. This is one way to get strong. You want to, build, you want to body build God's way? Guys, obedience and servanthood. Obedience and servanthood. So here's what we should do. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. He says, instead, we should speak the truth in love, growing, how? In every way more and more like Christ. Why? Because he is the head of the body of the church. That's the goal, to speak the truth in love, but to grow, to grow. See, Paul encourages us to provide guidance with gentleness keeping in mind the person we're talking to and their best interest at heart. And I grow. And I grow. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together what every joint supplies according to the effective working which every part does its share, causes growth for the body and the edifying of itself in love. Notice what Paul says. You go, man, he said a lot of words here, Ben. What's he saying? He's saying all of us the whole body fit together perfectly. What does that mean? Some of us are a mouth in the body of Christ. Some of us are ears. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are elbows. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. 
Some of us are knees, some of us are hip. You understand, but we're one body working together. And it's so glorious when you realize, this is my part. You know what's really sad? It's when my hand wants to be the mouth. It doesn't work, does it? It looks silly, doesn't it? Hey, what? I want to be the mouth. Stop it. You know what I'm saying? It looks silly when my foot goes, I want to be a knee. I don't like being a foot in a smelly shoe. I want to be a knee. I want to be an eye. I want to be an eyebrow. Whatever it is in the body of Christ. But when you find yourself, you find it, you go, we all fit together. We all fit together. You know what I found? I found that God didn't give one person all the gifts. I have all the gifts! He didn't. He gave me one gift. He gave you one gift. He gave you a gift. He gave you a gift. And listen, this is what makes us up. We're all one body. We're one body. What are we doing? We're bodybuilding. We're bodybuilding God's way. We're lifting up the body. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Okay, so I'm closing. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're not, we're not going to be here till noon. Maybe. Okay, we're closing. What is Paul trying to teach us today, church? He's saying, bodily exercise profits a little. Can I encourage you? Get out there and walk. Exercise. It's okay. It's okay. But I would exhort you more to exercise your spiritual muscles. Grow your muscles. Grow your muscles, strong muscles in the faith. So you're not moved. You're not moved. You're not moved. It's funny how little stories will fit into the sermon that you're preaching. Don't you agree? Because this morning, Joe was talking to us about a hockey player last night who wouldn't compromise his faith in, in, the, in the, I think it's a San Jose hockey thing. And um, I won't get into the story, but I found it interesting is that he said, for 13 years I've been a Christian, I've never compromised my faith, that Jesus is my God, I'm going to follow him no matter what, I'm not going to fall into the trends of what everybody else is doing culturally. You can read that story yourself. But I thought, there's a man who is exercising his spiritual muscles. There's a man who in the midst of the world is still bodybuilding God's way. God's way. Church, listen. You're living stones. You're alive. He's blessed you. You're living stones. He's, he's, and positionally, heaven is yours. It's done. It's over. It's sealed. It's finished. Don't worry about that. Get out there. Get out there and be all that you can be for the Lord. Share your faith. Make mistakes. It's okay. Bring glory to God. But be excited that way. Why? Because our job, our job, is to use our gifting to grow the body of Christ, both in number and maturity. I want you to grow. I want you to be mature. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. You need to be healthy. You need to know the Word of God. 
you need to know the Word of God. Lord, you are gracious. You are wonderful. I thank you for today. Father, forgive me. I know I went a little bit long, but you had so much to speak to us. You're so beautiful, Lord, and I thank you. Father, I pray that you would bestow your beautiful gifts on this church. Lord, gifts of healing, gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, gifts of administration, gifts of teaching, gifts of evangelism. There's so many, God. I pray. I pray every one of us would just be unified with one heart to impact our city for the kingdom of God. And Father, your challenge today is that every one of us is going to depart here. We might go to lunch. We might see somebody. That, Lord, you would open the doors that we could share and witness for you. We could say, Jesus, he's my everything. He's my all in all. Listen, if you're here today and God brought you here, And as I was speaking and I was talking about gifts, something was going on in your heart. And the Lord began to reveal to you that you might not have a relationship that you think you have. That you you might not be in a right, right, right relationship with him. And, And in your heart, the Holy Spirit, and you begin to quit, Lord, am I really saved? I'm not sure. And pastor was saying some things and I don't think I have that relationship. Well, listen, you might feel like that today. And you might even come today feeling like you're a million miles away from God. Lord, I don't even know. I feel like I'm your one decision away from coming back to him. And all you have to do this morning is open up your heart and say yes to him. And I want to give you that opportunity. Wow, pastor, what are you going to do? In a minute, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Well, what does raising my hand mean? That's your acknowledging that you want to be right with God. You know, I, I, I just want to be right with God. I'll pray for you. Nobody else will see you. Well, why do I have to raise my hand? My family's going to think I'm weird. They think I'm saved. Because I want God to see your heart. Because this is the most important part right here, is to make sure that you're saved and that you have a real relationship with Jesus. You see, I'm not trying to grow the church by membership. We don't even have membership. I just want you in heaven. And you can do that today. With every eye closed and every head bowed, who's here would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want a real relationship with God. I want to say yes to him. I want to give my life to him completely. I don't know what he has for me, but I want to be saved. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right now? And you can just lift it up so I can see it. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus in my life. Just going to give you a minute. Just lift up your hand. Nobody will see you. God will see you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're watching online, you can lift up your hand. God will see you. If you're listening later on via podcast, that's okay. You say yes to him. Father, I thank you today for your great love. Lord, I thank you that you're still saving people and still moving, but I always want to give an invitation because you never know who's, who's sitting here going, I need Jesus today. So I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. 
You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.